and welcome to Closing the Digital Divide, the podcast dedicated to creating meaningful conversations and sharing valuable insights from industry leaders, policymakers, equipment manufacturers, and others on Closing the Digital Divide. I'm your host, Charles Thomas, and together we'll explore the policies, challenges, triumphs, and innovative solutions that are reshaping the digital landscape. Join us as we shine a light on the importance of equal access, digital literacy, and transformative impact technology can have on our unserved and underserved communities. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and empowered as we work towards closing the digital divide one episode at a time. Welcome to the conversation that's shaping our future. This is the digital divide. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to the show today, Hal Schaefer, Chief Marketing Officer for Watson Wireless, and Garrett Sinstalin of ReadyLinks. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Charles. Happy to be on. All right. So, gentlemen, I always start the show when I have my first guest, or when you're on the show for the first time, I always ask the question, what is the digital divide and why is it so important that we close it? Well, that is indeed a very good question, Charles. Um, I would say the digital divide is quite simply the haves and have not of broadband. And those that have it are have opportunities before them to get online and do all sorts of things to advance their lives, their social aspects, their businesses, things of that nature. And unfortunately, the have-nots are left somewhat isolated. Um, they need broadband so they can take advantage of educational opportunities online, that they can uh, utilize telehealth, uh, that they can search for jobs, things of that nature, some very basic things. And it's just so unfortunate that a large portion of the uh, population in the United States, uh, a very advanced country, doesn't offer broadband on a universal and affordable basis. And if we can close that digital divide, the have-nots will be able to enjoy the perks of high-speed broadband. And that's a great answer, Hal. I like to wrap that all up into kind of one ball and say, really, it's about quality of life. You know, as 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 we found out during the COVID times, quality of life is is all is already challenging in in a lot of our rural areas, and it became extraordinarily challenging during the COVID time. So, great response to that question. I couldn't agree with you more, Charles, because. People who are out in the rural areas and typically have less broadband activity, the pandemic isolated people. And without the Internet, they became hyper insulated and almost ostracized from the world. And they suffered accordingly. And that was just a damn shame. And it really exacerbated the problem, but made it very evident. Absolutely. Well, that leads us right into our topic of today. And that is exploring technologies. Um, Hal, when you reached out to me, I was very excited to to learn about what you guys um, were doing. I, and I didn't know, quite quite honestly, I didn't know a lot about your technology. 
Um, and, and I know we're going to get into this a little bit deeper, but first of all, Hal, tell us a little bit about uh, Watson Wireless and, and what you guys do. Okay, Charles, uh, absolutely. First, thanks a lot for having us on the show. I've uh, listened to uh, some of the podcasts and some of the uh, guests that you have, and so we're, we're pretty well honored to be included. Um, Watson Wireless was founded about a decade ago by the same Watson family that founded IBM. Uh, we began with a simple goal to bring wireless broadband connectivity to fairly remote third world areas in Africa and the Caribbean. But uh, as the company grew, so did our scope and areas of interest to include well, a little closer to home and a lot more than just wireless. Uh, we found that instead of trying to be an ISP, we could influence uh, larger problems affecting more people by becoming a broadband consulting firm. Um, Mr. Watson's pretty well healed, uh, so we don't have to sell products and we don't receive compensation from vendors. Um, instead, we conduct due diligence on pretty much anything that involves broadband, and we offer recommendations that we believe will contribute to achieving the common goal of universal and affordable connectivity, you know, bridge that digital divide of the haves and have-nots. Absolutely. And that that's fantastic. Um, as, as we shared a little bit earlier, you know, I, I lived in, in, in work in rural areas and um, it's 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 challenging. Right. It's, it's absolutely challenging. I was intrigued, however, by uh, your initial email when you talked about. Um, and I know we're going to get a little bit deeper into this with uh, with Garrett here, and, and, and Garrett, I'm going to let you talk about your uh, what you guys do as, as we get into the conversation. You had mentioned that there's a lot of uh, space, a lot of building space, whether it be warehouses or, or or even homes that are that have legacy wiring, and we can still utilize that legacy wiring through a technology that um, you, you, you guys are uh, promoting here. Tell us a little bit about that technology. Uh, you're talking about the G.HN, which uh, originally, well, it still stands for Gigabit Home Networking. And that's exactly what it was when it came around into the marketplace back in oh, 2009. Uh, people could uh, go online and purchase a small unit, a little larger than the size of a deck of cards, hook it up inside their home and uh, turbocharge their speeds. But uh, with recent advancements in technology, uh, this G.HN has now become applicable and appropriate for a lot of existing buildings, you know, your MDUs, MTUs, anchor institutions, et cetera. Um, we stumbled across it pretty much. Uh, it's not out there very much. It's more prevalent in Asia and Europe. Um, when Watson realized that uh, the Biden administration had committed, you know, 65 billion dollars to uh, bridging this digital divide. We thought it'd be a great idea to contact pretty much as many state broadband offices as we could, because they're going to be receiving uh, literally an astounding average of about a billion dollars each or more to um, achieve their goals of universal and affordable connectivity. And we wanted to see how we could help them. And uh, it was actually during a conversation 
with uh, one of the uh, state directors up in Alaska, I believe Thomas Lochner, who asked us if we'd ever heard about G.HN, and I had to admit that I hadn't, and I took it back to the office, and there was only a, a little bit of awareness of it, so it was Mr. Watson who sort of tasked me with the um, job of doing our diligence on G.HN and trying to find out exactly what it was. Um, so what I discovered was that the uh, Technology is an it's an ideal alternative to wiring up buildings, existing buildings with fiber because it's a technology that makes it possible that you can go in there and provide gigabit speed without having to rip up baseboards and tear down walls to wire fiber through the walls to every room. So essentially, it's a fiber extension technology that takes advantage of a building's existing legacy infrastructure. So you mentioned that it's an extension of fiber. Um, how exactly does that work? Okay. Um, well, out there in the marketplace, fiber is pretty much king. And if you're going to um, go into a, a building that's being constructed, then by all means, go with fiber. That's the answer. But there are a lot of buildings out there. And by buildings, again, I mean, you know, your multi-dwelling, multi-tenant, office complexes, uh, casinos, um, hospitality centers, anchor institutions, libraries. They've sent, a lot of them have been passed by even when fiber is nearby. And the reason being is simply because a lot of ISPs won't go in there to rip up baseboards and tear up walls because it's prohibitively expensive and they're not getting that return on the investment. So unfortunately, be it urban areas or out there in the, the sticks or whatever, uh, they sit idly around and often are just uh, supplying their residents with uh, doxis or uh, DSL, and that's a shame. Well, that's that sounds actually really neat. You know, as we were sharing a little bit earlier, um, there's a lot of dwellings, and when I say dwellings, I mean buildings, be their warehouses, or or, or even um, as you had mentioned earlier, MDUs that that do have that legacy wiring in there. And and I I'm guessing it, it would be pretty expensive uh, to go in, as you mentioned, to rip all that stuff out. Um, yeah, I, I would think that the uh, the ISP community would be uh, a lot more interested. I know I am. Uh, why aren't ISPs deploying more G.HN more often? Okay, well, let me back up just a little bit and tell you with a broad brush how the G.HN works. So if that fiber is nearby, all an ISP has to do is bring that fiber into the telecom room of the building. And then it connects that fiber into the uh, hardware. So the software can essentially create a throughput of the fiber signal into the existing infrastructure, be it the copper wiring or better yet the coax. And therefore the ISP can take advantage of what's already there, bring gigabit symmetrical speeds to every room in as little as a day. And so it'll increase speeds in underserved buildings as well that rely on that DSL or the DOCSIS. So 
to your question, why aren't more ISP using it? I think the answer is a, a lot because it's relatively new technology. It's only been around a few years as a connectivity solution for larger buildings. But as another part of that puzzle is, I would say, ISPs are so heavily invested in fiber. They're reluctant to embrace what they perceive as an unproven solution. And it's also sort of like big oil, just like Exxon might not want to embrace disruptive technologies. Verizon and Comcast want to maintain their straggle hold on the profitable fiber business. So that's why at Watson, we've been championing the G.HN benefits, first to state broadband offices, now to IS products or specific solutions. Uh, even though they've sort of embraced this behind doors uh, because it'll stretch their dollars. Uh, ISPs need to recognize how it can deliver a return on their investment almost immediately and increase their ROI dramatically. And once they realize that this is a profitable solution, uh, a reasonable alternative, I think more, will, more ISPs will embrace it. Um, lastly, customers, will uh, get faster speed. So, you know, it's right. a win for everyone right. and it's just a matter of getting it out there. And I think um, with the campaigns that we've been doing and others and with the incredibly competitive bidding process that I expect to come this summer for uh, for NTIA funding, I think we're going to see G.HN start to get a little more exposure and gain a little more recognition. Well, here on Closing the Digital Divide, we're, we're all about the and. Um, a lot of people out there are pushing, you know, uh, obviously fiber's king, as, as you mentioned, but they're, you know, fixed wireless is also playing a, a, a huge role in that. Um, I believe that we need to uh, explore and identify all technologies that allow us to get, number one, to get everyone connected but also that performance level and being able to utilize existing infrastructure that can get us there, uh, to me, sounds like it's, it's, a, it's a great way to move forward in a quicker way. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to bring Garrett into the conversation here a little bit. Garrett, you, act, you guys are actually doing the, uh, the deployment of, of this technology. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, it is, Charles. Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and ReadyLinks, and uh, and and also uh, explain to us what GHN is at from a from a technology um, perspective, um, and the benefits that it's uh, going to deliver for uh, in enterprise grade networking. Yeah, first I want to thank you, Charles, for having me on and talking about this technology. ReadyLinks was actually founded on the premise of delivering the highest bandwidth possible over uh, legacy cabling. So we continue to excel in the industry for both reliability and innovation. Since inception 2003, ReadyLinks products have used uh, uh, has been used to bring high-speed internet access to communities and enterprises alike. So we were founded in 2003. And actually, in 2005, we introduced uh, 100 meg over IP over coax solution. And that was one of the first solutions uh, ever made for high speed over coax. Uh, it was 100 meg, nothing like a gig now we have today. 
but then in the years to come we actually it was the we founded the world's first gigabit hardened ont now ont devices many know kind of go on the single family resident where the fiber gets uh punched down gets terminated and we were the first to found uh found the first gigabit hardened ont and then to the years come g.hn came out uh g.hn the competitors were Doxus, like Hal mentioned, Mocha, uh, and GFast. Now we chose G.HN because of its versatility over, so you can do over legacy twisted pair or coax or pretty much any medium, as well as its speeds and distances. So you can actually reach, you can do full symmetrical gig all the way up to a thousand feet over twisted pair. And it's actually one or two, one pair of copper, two conductors. And to get a little bit more into it, the beauty about it is um, you can actually pass power as well down the line. So one one thing that to mention, fiber is light. It really can't do power. It can do high speeds, but it can't do power. So we we love the fact that copper is rugged. You don't need a fusion splicer to put on the connector. It's easy. Uh, all techno technicians know it. And nowadays you can do 1.8 gig throughput over it. And that's the beauty about G.HN. And that's why we've invested heavily into our uh, networking lineup and our networking stack that we've created throughout the years. Wow, that 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 sounds in, in, impressive. Um, I would think that uh, this is becoming even though it's not well known, like I said, I, I literally just found out about this through um, through some conversation with Hal there. Um, it must be starting to be a, a crowded marketplace out there with, with this. Um, how does ReadyLink separate itself in, in this marketplace? Yeah, like I've mentioned, we've been doing this for years and we've worked with a lot of tier one telcos throughout the years. And they've given us requirements like hot swappable line cards, where if a line card goes out, it's easy to replace rather than replacing the entire network switch. Uh, dual power supplies, it can't have a power failure, AC and DC. So we stand out pretty much since we've been in this uh, market space for a while. We've implemented a number of uh, tier one telco requirements as well as the software platform that we've kind of wrapped around our hardware equipment. So talk to us about some of the, uh, the, the challenges that you guys face out there in, in implementing this. Yeah, some of the challenges out there, just like you mentioned, not a lot of people have heard about G.HN and the Phi layer itself, but we, we've really helped our enterprise uh, grade customers we can focus on like ISPs for say, they come into a building not knowing the infrastructure itself. It may be CAT3, it may be CAT5, it may be CAT6. So they've they've asked us to have equipment that can pretty much be utilized in any situation that they, they run across. So instead of like how mentioned, running fiber to every room, we've made it simplistic enough to where they can just run fiber to one main distribution floor, MDF people like to call it, and pretty much distribute those speeds across any medium. And we've also developed, so there's uh, switches that 
our layer two plus switching platform. And then there's actually another device called a client, an IP client, and that sits on the uh, tenant's premise. So that's where you can set up that five layer connection, the 1.8 gig throughput connection, uh, reliably and secure to deliver the speeds to the end customer. Well, I, it it sounds really impressive, and I, I'm I'm sure you guys um, have a uh, the ability to to monitor the uh, the throughput and everything that's going through that. Did, do you have your own um, software for that? Do you do you use third party software? How do you how do you monitor that system to uh, make sure that the um, the actual speeds that you guys are are, are are proposing that are that are getting to those places. Um, there's a lot of old old buildings out there with a lot of really old copper. Does this technology work on any copper, or is it a certain level of? Yeah, um, that's that's funny you that say really that. Needs... We actually, yeah, we yeah. <laughs> it's funny we we have a saying. If you have barbed wire, we can do a gig over that. It really, it really is transformative. If you just have one pair of copper, two conductors, we can do high-speed data and power at the same time over that medium, which is transformative. We've run into slot floors that have Belden cabling running everywhere, Siamese cable. Pretty much any medium you can think of, we have run high-speed data over it. And it's just drastically decreased the cost and for the end customer, either from hospitalities, from the Marriott's to the ISPs, it's, it's drastic for them because now they're able to push broadband pretty much anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter if they need to they don't need to rip up baseboards, rip up drywall anymore. It's 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 um it's a technology that's uh, great for pretty much anyone. But you mentioned the monitoring and the software platform surrounding the hardware that we've built, and that's really what what we prize ourselves on. Our hardware has been top notch for 20 years now. We've we've killed the game in that, but the software is what really really puts the icing on the cake. We've developed a, a cutting edge RESTful API. So our native monitoring system out of the box, our end customers don't even have to use. They can actually build their own platform since we've put it on a RESTful API. But with our platform natively out of the box, all you need to do is uplink the switch and then you're able to monitor and manage it from anywhere in the world. And you mentioned seeing the speeds and seeing like health scores that's all in the monitoring system itself you can monitor all the way to the edge from the integrity of the line to if there's a break in it to what bandwidth are you getting are you getting 1.8 gig are you getting 1.6 gig you can monitor all the way to the edge and also another beautiful thing about it is you can monitor the power levels you can set up templating. So instead of having a network with a bunch of different configs, you can set up a config template and push that to all your switches. So that helps with scalability. If you're trying to add another switch mm -hmm. into your network, you can push the template right down to it and it configs itself. Um, there's a ton, a ton of uh, configuring and monitoring and managing that you can do with the platform that we've built around it.
Well, you you actually answered one of my questions I was going <laughs> to ask you, and that was scalability, right? Mm -hmm. You know, as 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 we as the broadband community grows, and 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 I'm going to kind of shift here a little bit as the broadband community grows. There's also you know threat actors out there. What's the uh, or or let me let me rephrase my question and say. Um, do you have built-in security, and and what's the reliability of of the system that you guys have built? Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned it. We actually take security at the physical level. So a lot of the standards out there, like Ethernet and all the other standards out there, they actually base their security practice on the G.HN standard. So at a physical level, from endpoint to switch that is fully AES-256 encryption. So there is no way for someone in the middle to be able to sniff the packets that are being sent from our phi layer. So all of that is encryption. And then at a switch layer two plus level, we also have the classic VLAN segmentations all the way down to the edge, the MAC address filtering, the 802.1x network access control, IP source guard, ARP inspection. So we have the whole, the whole gambit. And we go through rigorous tier one telco audits, pen testing, you name it, we've gone through and we've passed the security standards. G.HN was actually the most one of the most secure chipsets out there just because of the implementation of AES 256 encryption at the physical layer and that's a that's a big deal to have well excellent excellent um you know i i talk to a lot of folks about about technology and the different things they're doing without giving uh, away too much information or 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 naming names can you can you tell us about a real world example where you guys have implemented this and how it's working and and maybe some customer feedback from that? Yeah, definitely. I can speak on two customer examples. We'll speak on first the, the internet service provider example and then a hospitality example because I think they both kind of pair well with each other. Now for the ISP example, um, it was a smaller tier three telco that pretty much purchased a massive copper plant. They had copper everywhere and they, they, they pretty much didn't know what to do with it. It was too expensive. They didn't want to rip it out. They, they wanted to utilize it. They weren't sure how, and they knew that they needed a fiber backbone for the, um, pretty much wide area network. So. So they started building the um, fiber backbone and they were getting, they were able to get the fiber close enough to most of the apartments and buildings uh, in the surrounding area, but they didn't know how to deliver that to the end unit. And that's where they contacted us and we brought in the solution for them. And on the back end of things, we actually call our equipment ISPs in a box. And that's pretty much because mm -hmm. we've built an instant activation platform inside the box. So it comes natively with it and the end subscriber can actually turn on their port, rate limit their port and choose what package that they want. 
So instead of needing to call the technician or call the ISP for service, they actually turn it on themselves because that's extremely powerful because it provides a self-install model for end customers. It's just as easy as signing up for Netflix nowadays. And we we help them with that their pretty much expansion uh, program. And they they went from, I think they had a plan of like five years and we we decreased that just drastically in the number of customers that they were able to gain, the speeds that they were able to promote and provide to end customers. It was it was an, an awesome rollout and we were able to do it extremely quickly, leveraging the software and hardware that we've built. Garrett, you mentioned um, this technology as being ISP in a box. Can you ex- elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. So we like to call it an internet service provider in a box, ISP, because of the packages that we've built around it. It allows for pretty much anyone from a mom and pop shop all the way up to a tier one telco to go into any MDU or pretty much anywhere, MTU, mall, you name it, and bring in a switch that allows them to already have an instant on buy flow and a monitoring service. So they don't need to build a back-end buy flow for customers to sign up. It already comes natively with the box. The end customer rate limits themselves and purchases the package themselves, and it, they turn on their, their own port as well. Now, the, the buy flow is also fully customizable to telcos, marketing schemes, whatever packages they want, as well as their logos or color schemes. And it also sits on a RESTful API, so they they don't even need to use the native uh, turnkey solution that we've built. They can call the API themselves and build their own uh, platform around it. So this is truly plug and play. This this is a true plug and play solution. Uh, yes, you are right, Charles. Well, that that sounds awesome. Um, we're getting close to uh, running out of time here, but I wanted to get in um, just one more question, and and then we'll we'll uh, we'll wrap this up. What advice would you give to businesses looking to upgrade their their current network system, and what would be those key factors to consider moving towards this type of solution the um, that we're 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 talking about here? Yeah, so one advice I would give to anyone looking at upgrading their network infrastructure is first first try and just try and price out how much it will cost you to run new cable. It it's a it's a scary number. And it's not not to mention the price on the contractors to pull it, but the downtime that you're going to have to take. You're going to take stuff out of service, you're going to take pretty much your whole network out of service to run new cabling. And then, so the beauty of it is utilize the existing infrastructure and pair it up with a platform where you can actually monitor and manage your network. Networks are a live beast. It takes a lot to manage and monitor it. It can change throughout the day. It can change throughout the year. So make sure that you have a software platform to be able to monitor it and manage it, or it's just going to go go down. You're not going to know what went down. You're not going to know really how to fix it. And that's that's the beauty about the 
the hardware and software that we've developed is the ability to manage your network truly at the phi layer. Nice. Well, gentlemen, this has certainly been um, informative. Uh, I've learned a lot. Um, definitely want to make sure that, and, and how we'll start with you first, um, tell our audience how they can learn more or get more information on what, on, uh, got to learn to speak today. How <laughs> tell our audience how they can get more information on Watson Wireless. Well, Charles, thank you very much. I'd be glad to. <laughs> um, well, it's pretty simple. Just uh, email Hal at WatsonWireless.com and I'll uh, load you up for bear. And uh, you're on LinkedIn as well, correct? I am. Hal Schaefer. Uh, Excellent. Garrett, same for you with uh, ReadyLinks. Yep, you can navigate over to our website, readylinks.io. There's a ton of ton of information, documentation, as well as customer stories that are kind of a fun read to see, see the product working. But you can also email me, Garrett, at ready-links.com. Uh, I respond quickly, so don't hesitate to ask questions or see where things stand. All right, Garrett, are you also on LinkedIn? I am Garrett Sinstalin. All right. Well, we have come to a close of another great podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here today. And remember, uh, to get this podcast and others in our, uh, I'm going to start that over again, obviously. All right. We've come three, two, one. We've come to the end of, the, of another empowering episode. We want to express our deepest gratitude to Garrett and Hal for sharing this incredible information. And remember, the power to bridge the digital gap lies within each one of us. It's our responsibility to champion digital inclusion, advocate for equal access, and to embrace technology's potential to take us there. By doing this, we create a world where everyone has a fair chance to thrive in the digital age. Gentlemen, thank you again. Look forward to talking to you guys very soon. Have a great day. Here, here. Thank you, Thanks, Charles. Charles.